With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by my perma co-host, uh, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and Dynasty Guru. On today's June 17th edition of the show, we will discuss the five-game winning streak that the Red Sox are on, some transactions with the team, the terribleness of the bullpen, and a few more things. So Keaton, uh, let's lead off with the fact that the Red Sox are now 39-34, just five and a half games back of the division-leading Yankees. This is this is a good development. It is a good development. Nothing like a nice three-game series against the Orioles to clean the pipes. Yeah, yeah, that was nice. It was nice that the Red Sox were able to carry the momentum from uh, the good start by Porcello against Texas, followed by uh, the comeback win in a start where Price uh, just really didn't have it uh, early on in that one, and then carry it through against a really bad Orioles team this weekend, taking care of business. Um, it did take a lot longer to take care of business today. Uh, we're recording this on a Sunday night, just so everybody knows, but this is your Monday edition of the podcast. Um, that game took four hours and 45 minutes today. Yeah, for all the talk about how Means was this quick worker, and uh, I know Remy said he was really looking forward. He was already talking about looking forward to this start yesterday on yesterday's broadcast. And uh, whoops. Yeah, to be fair to Remy, there was not much to talk about in those first two uh, blowouts by the Red Sox, which yeah, that's I, I was I was just fine with. By the way. Um, Chris Sale pitching well in one of those, Eduardo Rodriguez pitching well in the other one, uh, a ton of homers this weekend, all sorts of good stuff happening, um, but this game certainly did not qualify uh, a, as a fun game to watch. This four hours and 45 no. minutes is why people uh, look at baseball and they say, ooh, that sport's not for me. Um Especially when you look at like the tidiness of some other sports, because um, one of the things I noticed was during the hockey playoffs this year, you'd get an eight o'clock start and that game would be wrapped up by 11, you know, really no questions asked. Um, And unless you're going into, you know, overtime or something like that, there's really not a lot of... uh, of games that go much longer than that. And that's even including playoffs where there's like longer timeouts and stuff like that. So it's definitely a knock on baseball. Um, but overall, um, I think I'm just, I'm pretty pumped about the way that the Sox, uh, handled this. They handled games they were supposed to, and this puts them in a pretty good position heading into a series against the Minnesota twins, which we will preview later in the podcast. Yeah, this is going to be a big one. But I think, just kind of recapping the week, I think the biggest surprise to me was how well the bullpen pitched after David Price. I didn't feel good about that at all. I was, I mean, after one inning, I I had already chalked it up as an L and was annoyed and pissed and had a couple tweets ready to go about losing three out of four to the Rangers. And they showed up 
and I, I wasn't expecting that at all. Yeah, I wasn't either. If you were going to tell me that David Price gets pulled after allowing six runs and we come back to win that game at the bullpen that the Red Sox have, I would have told you to shut up. <laughs> and you would have been well within your rights to do so. Yeah, um, because when you think about the Red Sox winning, you typically think about them doing it with strong starting pitching. And certainly this past week, we had strong starts from Sale, Eddie Porcello, like I mentioned. Uh, the bullpen has been a mixed bag. It delivered... Um, a great performance in that win that we were talking about against Texas, but then a terrible performance today. Um, but when we look at the numbers over the last 16 days or so, um, and I'm not sure if these stats are including today. I don't think they actually do, but let's go. We'll just call this from June 1st to June 15th. The bullpen ERA is 367 with a 130 whip and a 230 batting average against over 56.1 innings. That's much better than I thought. And then when I looked at the starters ERA over that same time period, over 79.2 innings pitched, it was 4.29 with a 126 whip and a 267 batting average against. So as good as guys like Sale have been, there have been some really bad starts over those 15 days as well. Yeah, there definitely has. And I, how is a, a starter classified? Like the bullpen days, is that the first pitcher, is that considered a starter? That's a great question. I'm not 100% positive on that, but we can kind of break it down a little bit more and look at kind of who's been doing what in terms of individuals. So during that time period, um, the usual suspects have been performing how you would think. So, yeah, it actually does count those opener-type things that they've been doing with the uh, fifth starter. Um, All right, because those days have been disasters. Oh, yeah, they've been terrible. <laughs> um, they only count the first pitcher, though, uh, in, in that scenario. So Chris Sale, 0.82 ERA uh, over 22 innings pitched. Rick Porcello uh, throughout this time period, uh, 5.71 ERA. David Price, 593. Eddie Rodriguez, uh, 344. Uh, Darwinson Hernandez, 9. Josh A. Smith, 9. And Ryan Weber, 13.5. So, yes, it has been that fifth start by and large. And the fact that David Price got blown out in that one inning um, performance. Because David Price, other than that, had been pretty good. There had been a couple series in a row where Price had stepped up and been the stopper after some skids. Just how the... uh... The bullpen days laid out, they were tended to be right around his starts, and uh, he had been the guy that we needed him to be, and Sale has been back to you know, peak Chris Sale. Those two, you're not really worried about either one of those rolling out, and then Porcello has been much better as of late, and has pitched better to um, his ERA, which... It, when when things go bad for Porcello, they've been going really, really bad. So some of this has been screwed because he's he's thrown in some gems in between some stinkers. But it's been mostly uh, reliable pitching from Porcello. I don't feel as bad as I usually do when he rolls out there. And I know you're a huge Porcello guy, and I'm not nearly as uh, in camp Porcello as you are. But I don't feel like... Oh shoot, we got to get somebody up early here cuz he may not have it. But he's been good and he's been really good against the Yankees, which we're going to need. So Yeah, and the thing with Porcello is um if he can make it through the first inning or so, he usually cruises. It's just 
getting him through that first inning is the tough spot, and that's when he tends to struggle. So, um, like, last time out against Texas, he had a rough first inning and then retired 15 straight batters after that. So he does tend to roll, um, but that gives you an idea of how the starters have been performing. Um, Keaton, um, these stats do not include today's game, which was wild one by the bullpen, but if you had to guess... Um, which three relievers have the best bullpen ERA dating back to June 1st? So the 1st to the 15th, who do you think has been performing the best out of the pen? Uh, Mike Schwarren. Okay, good guess. Uh, Workman. Mm-hmm. And Hembry's been on a bit of a heater, so I'll go with him. Yeah, so nice job. Uh, You got it mostly right. So Hembry had a zero ERA over 3.2 innings pitched. So he hasn't thrown a lot. um, And then he went down with the injury, which we'll discuss a little bit later. Uh, Workman has been an absolute tear, uh, zero ERA. Um, Schwarren, who you mentioned, also tearing it up, uh, 1.08 ERA entering today's game. So not including the stats that he had today, but he still performed well today. Uh, and then the other guy is Colton Brewer with a uh, zero ERA as well. So Colton Brewer has been much, much better um, this time around. The thing with him, though, is it still feels a little bit like a mirage because the control still hasn't been completely dialed in with him. But I think what this does is it accentuates to us the importance of two things. We talked about how bad that fifth spot in the rotation has been, and Brian Johnson came back today to kind of solidify that. And we also talked about how important Heath Hembry has been to this bullpen, uh, especially when Matt Barnes over that stretch had a 7.04 ERA. Um, but Heath Hembry goes down with the elbow injury. So I think it's worth discussing the impact of both the fifth starter coming back and what losing Heath Hembry from this bullpen means. Yeah, the first starter to me is huge because we talked about it on a previous pod. I do not believe that this team, this rotation and bullpen is built for a bullpen day every fifth day. And the season as it's played out has really kind of backed that up that they just can't handle it. So having someone who's going to go out every fifth day and be the fifth starter, I think is huge because now we don't have to burn a whole bunch of extra innings out of guys every fifth day. I think that has a massive trickle effect in if we can get five, six innings out of uh, Brian Johnson, then that's five or six innings that we don't have to expend out of guys that we can use later in games, like uh, Schwarren, who's been going multiple innings and very effectively getting through them. Um, Hembry is a loss, but again, that can be backed up by... Um, getting a fifth starter to reliably get through five or six innings because that spreads out the people to cover Hembry's innings. So I think the the biggest piece of that, and as well as Hembry's been pitching, I think the biggest piece is having a fifth starter back uh, and then the waterfall effect that that has on the rest of the bullpen. Yeah, I totally agree with you. The The fewer innings that you can give to guys like Josh Smith and Josh Taylor and hopefully no innings ever to Travis Lakins, who <laughs> looks terrible today again, um, <clears throat> that would be great for this unit, especially because it seems like 
Matt Barnes is both a little fatigued. Uh, he got the day off today, which is why some of you might have been wondering why they're returning to Josh Smith again at the end of a game. Um, one was the lead. The second thing was this was definitely a planned day off for Matt Barnes. Every other person pitched in the bullpen. Um, but you're absolutely right, Keaton. This this is uh, huge for that. And hopefully um, Brian Johnson can t- continue to stretch himself out a little bit more. He threw just over 70 pitches today in the outing. Didn't look particularly sharp, but Brian Johnson's absolutely the guy that when he has his stuff going correctly, um, he can be a pretty economical um, starter going out there and pounding the zone and, and being effective. You know, no one's going to expect him to be dominant, but... He's very important. But the the whole thing about taking Hembry out of this unit, though, really does um, worry me a little bit. And the good news with Hembry is he doesn't seem to think this is a big deal. It is forearm tightness, um, which is usually something that's kind of scary. Um, but Hembry's not so worried about it. But Hembry has been quietly one of the best relievers that the Red Sox have had this entire year. We know how dominant he is against left or righties, I should say. But taking him out, that that leaves you with the guys that you've been relying on all year, the Workmans, the Waldens, the Barnes, and then it elevates guys like Colton Brewer, and it maybe accentuates the importance of Mike Schwarn, which, by the way, including today's outing, Schwarn's ERA is down to one. So he's definitely staying in the bullpen. But I think you don't want to be relying on guys like Brewer and Schwarn for that many innings. No, you don't. And I think... His loss is emphasized a bit by Barnes' struggles, too, because you could had used Hembry to bail Barnes out when Barnes didn't have it. Now he's not there, so Barnes is going to have to struggle through those uh, those innings. And he has had a couple of those where he's had to just kind of power through it where he just hasn't had it. Um, one of those games where he closed out, uh, Texas comes to mind, um, where he walked a bunch of guys but still was able to finish it off. So that's... Uh, it's going to be a struggle, and I, I am kind of worried about the forearm tightness, but if it's something that Henry doesn't think is going to be a, a massive issue, then I guess I feel a little bit better about that. But I don't know how often you can trust guys talking about their own body because I feel like he, he'd rather be out there than not. So uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see when he comes back and see how he is. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's just a wait and see thing at this point. We, we should also mention Ryan Brazier is uh, on the bereavement slash family medical emergency list. Uh, no idea what's going on with him. Um, that happened on the 11th. So I think we last recorded on the 9th. Um, so that happened shortly after this podcast dropped last time. Um, we know that Brazier hadn't been performing all that well, but it's still an important guy uh, for the bullpen, the guy that they need to get right. So Hopefully things are okay with uh, Ryan Brazier and that he works his way back uh, sometime soon. Um, the other thing is Su Wei Lin uh, and Steve Pierce have both started rehab assignments, so that's a good thing. Uh, Steve Pierce was actually playing the opener in Lowell uh, this past week, so that was pretty cool. That's good to have those guys on the way back. Yeah, and Su, Su Wei Lin... He's definitely going to get optioned as soon as he comes back, but Steve Pierce is probably going to be activated right away. Yeah, I would think so. Um, the other thing we should mention is Nathan Eovaldi. Um, you know, he, he had that elbow surgery for loose bodies, and he was on his way back as well, but he did experience a little bit of a setback. Keaton, what do we know about that? 
Yeah, so I was doing a little bit of reading about that, and I just realized that I had the tab closed, so let me reopen that real quick. Um, because I was waiting for him to come back, and have been waiting for him to come back. But uh, it's taken a bit longer, and so I was kind of wondering what was going on with that. But um, he had a, a setback from his elbow surgery. Um, they still expect him to be the starter when he comes back, but they have not given him a time timetable uh, to return because of the setback. They shut him down. So not sure when he's going to be active again. But uh, they expect to have him back. Uh, I guess it just doesn't have a timeline. But they're optimistic, so maybe that's sooner rather than later. But still being shut down and then not kind of giving any specific timetable that kind of worries you. And hopefully we're not going through another Stephen Wright situation where it's, you know, he'll be back in a week, back in a week, back in a week, and then his whole season's lost. Yeah, hopefully not. It doesn't seem like that's going to be the type of thing that that's happening here. It seems like a minor setback, so hopefully um, that's what it will be. And then the other bit of good news here is that Hector Velasquez has already started a rehab assignment as well, so he's working his way back. Um, all those guys that we mentioned add significant length to the bullpen, uh, even if Hector Velasquez isn't always great. Um, Nathan Eovaldi is obviously a huge upgrade no matter where they decide to use them. him right away, whether that's the rotation or the bullpen. Um, and Hector Velasquez, we know he can be effective and he can go multiple innings um, when his control is right. So hopefully if he's feeling physically good, uh, that'll be a good addition. And certainly all those guys that we mentioned are better than those back three of Smith, Taylor, and Lakins. So it's... Yeah, and I, I found the quote. Um, it was, uh, they expect Brian Johnson to be the fifth starter all the way to the all-star break. So at the earliest, Ivaldi is coming back after the all-star break. So that's about a month, a little over a month. Nice. Um, and certainly Mike Schwarin, I think we, we just got to hit on one more time. He has been very impressive, uh, to me, uh, in all of the outings that I've seen him in. I always felt that he was more of a reliever, and I think that he's really solidifying that he can handle this role and he looks good in it. So I expect the Red Sox to keep him up for the rest of the season. I'd be really surprised if he if he went down again. I would too. Absolutely. He's looked incredible. And they're not in a position where they can take guys that are performing well and send them back to AAA. So if you are pitching well enough, then – you've got the spot essentially in this bullpen. Yeah, I think so. And uh, if they do decide to send him back, I think he'll be up relatively quickly <laughs> and hopefully they don't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, let, let's go down to the minor leagues a little bit. Cause we do have a few things to talk about there. Um, Darwin's and Hernandez was uh, recently promoted to triple a, um, that's kind of some big news. He came up and didn't look good and start up here. The big thing with him is just the control is all over the place, and I think we talked about that last time on the podcast, but it'll be a good challenge for him, and one of the things that I wonder is whether or not the Red Sox will start working him as a reliever at AAA, or whether they'll continue to let him try and develop as a starter, because it's not like he was dominating as a starter at AA, so this kind of leads me to believe that this might be when they start the transition. It could be. Yeah, he... Was definitely struggling with the walks. I mean, he looked good through the first, was it five or six batters in his start? Uh, but then as soon as that was finished, then he just started 
uh, like he walked like the bases loaded and then just kind of imploded in on himself, which is kind of how he had been performing previously. But he's got 32 walks and 40 innings in Double A. I'm a little surprised by the promotion to Triple A because of the walks, but then again, at the same time, I guess they're not really terribly concerned with your walks until you get to the major league level. So um, if they felt that Double A wasn't enough of a test, or if they wanted him to face more, um, you know closer to major league competition, knowing that they're probably going to need to recall him again at some point. That's why they, they made the move just so that he can have more practice against stiffer competition before they need him again. Um, I was, I was surprised by it. I'll be honest. I was surprised. Yeah. We were, we were surprised by the, uh, the, the promotion to Darwinson. Um, but you know what, uh, whatever they decide to do, uh, keep him as a starter for now or transition them to relief, I think we we all agree that the role that he's going to have later in the year is in major league relief. Um, I still believe that. I still think that's coming at some point. So if I was them, I'd make the transition now. But hopefully, um, you know, they'll do the right thing. Um, the other thing that I want to talk about is uh, the major news here that Baseball America, an outlet that I think very highly of for their prospect coverage, Uh, updates their prospects fairly regularly, and they updated it to include two top 100 prospects for the Boston Red Sox. Um, They have Tristan Casas uh, down at number 98 and Jaron Duran at 99. And it is worth noting that Tristan Casas um, just today hit his 16th double and his 12th home run. Um, And he is an all-star as well, so... It's pretty impressive what that kid has been doing this year for a guy who struggled early on. He's cut his OPS all the way up to 860 at this point. Wow, that's quite a turnaround. Yeah, he had, I think we talked about that, how he kind of was in a bit of a rut, but was starting to kind of right the ship a few weeks ago. And now, um, you know, distantly removed from that, he's really been consistently tearing the cover off the ball, which is uh, pretty much what you'd hoped he'd do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but it was, you know, it wasn't the easiest assignment for him to to go to A-ball right off the bat as a guy who was in high school last year. So I was expecting him to struggle early on. I, I don't know if I was expecting him to make the adjustments this quickly and figure it out to the degree that he has. Yeah, there was a few guys that the Red Sox were pretty aggressive with their assignments of, and uh, for the most part, it, they've gotten positive results out of it. And I think that just kind of shows how advanced his bat was. Um, a lot of people thought that it was a pretty strong value where the Red Sox got him at the back of the draft and it's kind of just proving why people thought that. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Jaron Duran, who we won't focus on because we tend to focus on Jaron Duran a lot on all of our podcasts. Um, <laughs> Jaron Duran getting the nod at the very back end, uh, it's just, it's an amazing story for a guy who was just drafted so low seventh round pick. Uh, for the Red Sox in 2018, the fact that he's moved this quickly. And I think the the big piece here is that everybody imagines Duran now is at least a fourth outfielder, which is a really good um, sort of uh, base level to have for or floor, I should say, um, for a guy who you drafted in the seventh round. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be really interested to see how he adjusts up at Portland, I do think that it's going to take a little bit more time. He's struggling a little bit in his first 10 games up there, but I expect him to figure that out pretty quickly. 
Yeah, it shouldn't take him long to figure that out. Uh, he's that is advanced enough, and with the massive success that he's had previously, it's not going to take much. I mean, he was uh, leading the minors at one point with a he had his batting average up to four twenty two at one point. So I mean, he made it clear he had nothing left to prove at this, the A ball level, uh, and so I figured uh, that this promotion was in due time, and I'm not shocked. This one didn't surprise me. This promotion did not. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, we should also talk a little bit about uh, Lowell, or just mention Lowell. Uh, Lowell started on the 14th, so this past Friday. Um, they're going to have a really, really interesting roster this year. Um, I'm looking at the roster right now, a few of the guys that are interesting. Um, to me, uh, Eli Marrero, who was uh, one of their draft picks last year, uh, Anthony Flores, a very highly ranked shortstop, uh, international signee. Uh, Nick Northcutt, third baseman, 11th round pick from 2018. He's going to be there. Uh, Kervin Suarez, sort of an interesting uh, second baseman. Um, and then in the outfield, I think things are really interesting. Nick Decker, second round pick uh, from 2018. He's going to be in their outfield. Uh, Gilberto Jimenez, 5'11", uh, 160-pound uh, rocket ship out there in outfield um he's an international signee as well very interesting and then will dalton uh who i believe is out of yeah florida um who is a recent signee from this draft is going to be there and then noah song is apparently going to report to lowell as well their fourth round pick so this is about as interesting as i can ever remember the level being um and i am so pumped to get out there this thursday yeah, I think the most interesting thing to me was that Song is going to get some playing time in before uh, reporting for duty. Uh, so that'll be really interesting to see how he plays and being able to see him before um, you know all that other stuff has to happen to him. That's going to be fun. I'm uh, surprised that he is going to get to play. So that's that should be fun to watch. Yeah, I imagine that watching him go against guys in short season ball is going to be uh, very fun. <laughs> <laughs> He's got really, really advanced stuff, so uh, I expect him to have no problems with those guys. Uh, but yeah, it's just a super fun level. Uh, a lot of those guys are some of the more high-ceiling Red Sox prospects, uh, even though these are the two guys that we mentioned at the back end of the uh, BA um, Top 100. A few of those guys that we just talked about, especially uh, Flores and Gilberto Jimenez, uh, are going to be... A couple of the names to watch if their development goes kind of how we think it is. So definitely good to monitor. Uh, as we mentioned before, uh, the Red Sox do get the Minnesota Twins next. Um, the matchups are as follows. Porcello versus uh, Jose Barrios, Price versus Pineda, and Erod versus Gibson. Um, but more, more importantly, Keaton, I think this is a real big test for the Red Sox who Failed the last big test. I remember that when the Red Sox were about to play Houston and I believe the Yankees, they had they had been coming off a similar winning streak and then just completely crapped the bet against good teams. So I'm really looking for them to uh, perform well in this series against uh, an outstanding Twins team. Yeah, the the biggest thing here is going to be keeping the ball in the yard. The Twins hit homers at just an absurd rate. So Porcello, he, he's going to be, he's going to need to show up with his stuff because if his, uh, if he elevates pretty much anything, it's almost guaranteed to lead the yard. So he's got to keep it low. He's got to hit ground balls, which 
very within his abilities to do. And he's got a tough task going up against Jose Barrios, who's a very talented youngster for uh, the Twins, been their ace all season. He's been incredibly reliable. That's a tough task. That, I think, is probably the most interesting pitching matchup of all of them because if Porcello brings his good stuff, um, this is, could be an absolute pitcher's duel. Um, but it could get out of hand very quickly uh, if Porcello you know, falls back to some old habits and gives up some bombs. Yeah, Perios is worth mentioning because uh, he's always had the strikeout stuff, but uh, previously in his career, and he's young, he's only 25, uh, he struggled with his his walks, and he's really got that uh, much more under control this year. He's got 17 walks to 84 strikeouts, so he's really righted that ship this year. Yeah, he's a guy that I've liked for quite some time uh, and um, have gone after in some fantasy leagues because I've liked ceiling. He's shown flashes, but really the past two seasons is where he's started to put it together to be consistently the ace that the Twins expected that they were signing uh, when they when they got him. So um, it, it's not going to make it easy, and it's going to be difficult for uh, Porcello to match him frame for frame, and it's going to be difficult for the Red Sox batters to get some consistency, you know, at quality at bats out of him and this is going to be a time where when they have someone in scoring position they're going to need to push him across they can't go another you know one for 13 and hope that um they'll walk into a homer or two to steal a game that's not going to work with them yeah i agree um but i think maybe the biggest thing to take away from this uh, upcoming series against the twins is how the red sox pitchers specifically the bullpen is going to deal with this Twins offense, which is first in Major League Baseball in home runs, uh, first in runs, first in RBIs, and first in weighted runs created plus with a 123 WRC plus as a team, which somehow is even ahead of the Astros, who we talked about how ridiculous their mark was at 121. Um, This is the best performing offensive team in the league, and it's not particularly close. No, it's really been like, the past maybe a little over a month that they have just gone on a ridiculous tear where they're just hitting home runs left and right, just snatching the souls of opposing pitchers and have just started to absolutely dominate because it was really, it was about a month ago where they were only like two games ahead of Cleveland. And then now they're, I think 25 games over 500. So maybe it was a little bit more than a month ago, but anyway, uh, it, hasn't been consistent over the length of the season was basically the point. It's really been the more recent weeks where they've just gone on this absurd offensive tear. You know what's the most ridiculous thing about the Twins this year? And you might not even believe me when I tell you this, but their catchers, Mitch Garver and Jason Castro, each have a WRC plus of 180 for Mitch Garver and 142 for Jason Castro. That that catching tandem over 67 games has been hitting better than Nelson Cruz. <laughs> I did know about Garver. I did not know about Castro. That's absurd. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Oh, my God. You know you're going good when two guys who are just not known for being offensive catchers go bananas. And they sent their offensive catcher down. Yes, exactly. It just, it's wild. Uh, I guess when things are going right, they're really going right. Um, those two yeah. guys have combined for nearly five war already. 
at this point in the season wow. between those two catchers. Well, that'll be fun. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, but some of the names that they have on this team that are performing well, um, Nelson Cruz is, as usual, uh, Jorge Polanco, who's having a great season, though not better than Bogarts, I'd say, but other people would say different. Um <laughs> Max Kepler, uh, who's playing great. Miguel Sano has been great since he's come back. Byron Buxton uh, has been great. Um, Eddie Rosario has been great. Uh, Jonathan Scope has been really good. Um, Marvin Gonzalez has been super hot over the last month. Uh, there's a lot of guys who are just getting it done. Yeah, there really is. Uh, there's. I was trying to look at this roster to find where the hole is but i mean everything's going right for them there isn't really a spot where i'd feel great about it no no hole no hole uh speaking of uh, no holes in lineups the yankees uh just recently added edwin encarnacion to their team uh from the trade every week um seattle mariners um and all they had to give up was uh, a pitcher by the name of Juan Then, um, or Then, or I don't know how you say that. Um, I'm hoping it's Then, like the wildling tribe from Game of Thrones. That's how I've been going with it, too. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I hope he doesn't eat people like the Thens do. Uh, he has had a really good season, but he's like maybe, I don't know, what, the 15th? best or 10th somewhere between the 10 and 15 range for the Yankees. So it's not like they gave up a ton to, to get Edwin. Nope, they didn't. Edwin is expected to play DH for, for the Yankees. Um, and they sent down Clint Frazier, but I mean, that lineup is just really, really good. And they have young Carlos Stanton, uh, about to get called up. Um, as well as Aaron Judge starting to rehab. So all of a sudden, that lineup is going to have Voight, Hicks, Sanchez, Gregorius, Torres, um, Judge, Stanton, and Encarnacion. Yeah, that's... Um, damn it. Yeah, there's not a lot we can say <laughs> about that other than, oh, well. They still have Brett Gardner. Yep, they have Brett Gardner. He's a thing that they have, but he will not really play once all those guys are back. He will be on the bench. Um, but maybe pitching is where the Red Sox can still get them. Because CC and Hap haven't been great, and Tanaka's been good, and Paxton's been good. But other than that, they haven't been awesome in the starting rotation. No, nope. uh, I can't even talk myself into this. So let's move on. Let's go to some listener questions because we got a lot of fun ones today. Uh, the first one comes from El Duderino, who says Devers is the best hitting third baseman for the Red Sox since who? Um, Keaton, why don't you go first? Who do you think he's the best hitting catcher or third baseman since? The dream of Will Middlebrooks reaching his full potential. Ooh, good answer. Um, I think he is the best hitting Red Sox third baseman since 2010 when they had Adrian Beltre. And to give you an idea of what Beltre did that season after, uh, before they decided not to sign him for some curious reason, um, Beltre had 28 home runs, 84 runs, 102 RBIs, batted 321, 365, 553. 
uh, with a 140 WRC plus. So right now, uh, Devers is not quite that good. Um, but Devers also has the speed component that Adrian uh, Beltre did not have that year. Um, so I'm kind of optimistic that he can approach the type of season that uh, that he had. If he puts himself back in uh, contention for the batting title, might have to go all the way back to Bill Miller. Yeah, that was a great season by Bill Miller. Um, right now, um, Devers is... He's got 11 home runs and eight stolen bases with a 306, 362, 502 line. So that is very interesting. Yeah. He's he's about halfway to an, a season of excellence. And he's already over two war at this point. Good. Yeah, he's good. Defense has been much better, too. Yes, it really has. Um, there have only ever been 16 Red Sox third base seasons over five war, according to Fangraphs. So do you think that he will be one of those this year? If he's at 2.1 right now. Hmm. That's going to be close. Um, yes, I'll be optimistic. I like it. Uh, I'm going to say no, but I'm going to say he gets really close. Yeah. Uh, who are the five? Uh, who are the five win seasons? Uh, we have Jimmy Collins in 1904, uh, Rico Petroselli, um, who did it just once, Wade Boggs, who did it a ton of times, and Adrian Beltre, Kevin Euclid, and Larry Gardner, and then Billy Werber, who I don't know who that is. Neither do I. Yeah. So fun. It it uh the the only recent names are really Boggs, Beltre, Uke, and Petroselli, which is kinda recent. Seven yeah. one. All right. And Lowell didn't get there, surprisingly. Lowell and Bill Miller missed the mark. Uh 03, Bill Miller was a four point seven war season. In two thousand seven, Mike Lowell was a four point five. John Valentin never uh made it that high while he was playing third base. Uh, John Valentin had the monster season while he was playing shortstop. Hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. Next question comes from Lewis, uh, but in Philly and asks what the F was that batter interference? Keaton, I liked your take on this quite a bit. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so it was the, uh, the batter running inside the batter's line. Uh, on the way to first, which are outside the like the running lane, uh, which is interference, uh, but it wasn't caught in real time. And uh, I know that Cora came out to talk to the umpires, but it was after the Orioles had challenged if uh, Chavis came off the bag or not. So I like to believe that um, it wouldn't have been caught if the Orioles hadn't challenged and just had taken the out, and then uh, ended up taking a run away from themselves. By challenging the play, and then uh, ultimately cost himself the game because uh, had that run been on the board when the ninth inning ended, that had been up by one. So uh, peak Orioles to me is challenging a play at first and then having it completely blow up in their face, losing the challenge, having a runner called out, and losing a run in the process. So that's the way I'm going to go and say that uh, Cora was just asking what was happening and wasn't pointing out that the runner came out of the base, and they just did it themselves. And I like your take so much that I have nothing to add. (laughs) 
Uh, our next question comes from the Marx Brothers. Uh, all right, comrade. Um, does D. Gordon at second base make sense as a by-low option moving Chavis to first until others get healthy? Um, so before we talk about D. Gordon in second base, I will say that uh, even despite the Chavis error today at first base, I still really, really like Chavis at first base. I think that his third base instincts and his um, athleticism for that position make him a really good option for first base long term. Um, so I prefer him there. So I do like that idea of it. I'm not sure I like the idea of D Gordon. And we've mentioned before that this is a really thin second base market. Um, I want to know what you think about this, Keaton. I am happy whenever Chavis is on the field. So wherever he has to play for him to be out there makes me happy. Uh, as far as Gordon, he's expensive. So unless Seattle's going to eat most of his $13 million, um, I'm not super interested in him. But he does have the ability to also play outfield, which could be rather useful for the Red Sox since they essentially don't have anybody else who could do that. So I would be mildly interested in in this option if Seattle would eat most of the money. Yeah. I mean, I guess I don't really have an issue with, uh, with D Gordon. He's fine. He's, he's a solid guy. Um, I can't really even think of any other big options. I mean, maybe, maybe the nationals are trading Dozier, but like, do we want Dozier? I don't know. I guess he's solid. He's solid enough. He, he will add some pop. He'll take professional at-bats sometimes. Yeah. I guess yeah. maybe. Your tepid excitement is basically where we're at with that. I kind of like D. Gordon. I don't know if I like him any more than I like Dozier. So that's kind of where I am. Um, Xander has our next question. Um, and he says, do you know if there will be an open tryout for a bullpen spot? Um, I'm sure that Dombrowski is open to suggestions on this. So, you know, go out and see if you can um, first hit the zone. That would be better than a good number of the Red Sox relievers. Um, second, don't throw fastballs for every pitch, which would also be better than some of their relievers. Um, I don't know. Even better, they just started playing on the Cape. So just short little drive, find someone who can throw. And immediately sign them. Yeah. Go down and scout those Chatham A's games. Our next question comes from Coach Murphy. And he says, will the Sox trade for a reliever or an extra outfielder? If so, who are targets? Well, Murph, um, we did a whole podcast of targets for relief um, last week. So definitely go check that out because we mentioned a ton of names. Um, as far as the extra outfielder, I don't think that they're going to trade for an extra outfielder. I think they have enough internally. Um, and I also think that if they were looking for somebody to be a pinch runner in the playoffs, that they would just turn to Jaron Duran for that. Let me float something out to you. Though, okay. Just so uh, I can have the privilege of having made you listen to me talk about this guy on both podcasts. <laughs> San Diego Padres are looking to deal an outfielder. Hunter Renfro is one of those outfielders they would trade. I'm just saying, I I would give them a call and just see what they're looking for. Who would, where would you play him? In the outfield. 
but like for who this would come with and i know this is not a popular take particularly right now but i would trade uh in the package probably back to san diego i guess uh jackie bradley jr and move mookie or benintendi to center and then jd would be my full-time uh dh okay um i don't hate that move because renfro obviously brings a lot more pop to the plate uh an offense but i also know that renfro has not been a great obp guy over his career so i'm not sure that it would be that much better than jbj especially now that jbj is going a little bit better but how long is it gonna last that is the question that's true but it's not like renfro has a really long track record either that is also true so I don't know. I don't love it. And if I don't love it, I feel like we should just stick with Jackie Bradley Jr.'s defense and his enigmatic offense. But I do like your idea, Keaton. It is it is really interesting. Um, Dave Latham asks our next question. He says, is Tyler Thornburg still alive or did they banish him to the Shadow Realm a la Ellsbury? Um, he's been dead to me for a while. So <laughs> I hope that he's in the Shadow Realm chilling with Shao Kahn and Shang Tsung and, you know, whoever else is there. Yeah, I wouldn't hate it if he never came back. No, no, not not a guy who I am missing at any point. Um, maybe maybe Dave will make him into a, a human bobblehead and he can just uh, be in Dave's office um, as like a, a relic to more of Dave's bad reliever trades. He'll have a poster of him, and on top it'll say, Travis Shaw plays second base now. (laughs) Uh, I love it. Uh, Friend uh, of ours, Shelly Verstraight, asks us, why can't Dombrowski assemble a bullpen? Oh boy, Shelly. Only if we knew. Only if we knew. Any guesses? I think there's an analogy to be made here. And I feel like Dombrowski as your GM is like being in a relationship with someone who's basically perfect in every way. You always enjoy when they're around. Life's happier. But they have an incredibly annoying laugh. Mm. And you kind of just... Most of the time you don't notice it. Right? Like the second half of the series against Texas. Just notice the bullpen was bad because... You really need to. The beginning of the series against Baltimore. But every once in a while, it just really gets on your nerves. And you're like, man, I just really hate that laugh. Like today. Or when they blew the, blew the game for Chris Sale in Texas. So I feel like th- it just kind of comes with the package. Just knowing you're just not going to have it. Although, I mean, <laughs> I just made a joke about Travis Saw playing second. But he tried. He really tried to build a bullpen. He did. I mean, at the time, I don't think we really faulted him. We thought maybe it was a bit heavy to give up for a reliever, but Thornburg was coming off two tremendous seasons. We needed bullpen help. That made sense. Carson Smith was coming off a season where he finished as Seattle's closer. Was showing a lot of promise, 26 years old. Why not take a shot at him? Obviously, you can't predict injuries, and it was just terrible timing and just kind of added now to a long resume of not being able to build a bullpen. But he has certainly put in the effort to try. It just hasn't worked out. 
Yeah, I definitely think he's tried. Um, I don't think he tried this past offseason, though. No, and, and he needed to. And he really needed to. And I can't right now in good conscience forgive him for his his lack of effort there. So I am still really mad at him for his lack of trying and his insistence on staying under the uh, third luxury tax threshold. And, and now I have to suffer through four hour and 45 minute games because of it. So screw you. Just because you didn't want to give Kansas City like $3 million? Who cares? Something like that. Yeah, real annoying. Uh, Red Sox on breath says, uh, Chris Sale did not throw an immaculate inning yesterday. What's wrong with him? I agree. What is wrong with him? That was the Orioles, man. You should throw like six immaculate innings. I think he's broken. Or nine. Just 81 of- pitches, 27 <laughs> outs. All Boom. of them immaculate. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's about what I expected against that lineup. Our next question is from DJ's Defensive Metrics, and he says, how much do you think Reyes Moranta would cost? Uh, and if you guys aren't cur- aren't sure who that is, because Keaton and I weren't, he's a undersized, hard-throwing, 26-year-old righty. Uh, from the Giants, who's got like a 97 and mile an hour fastball, uh, who has some serious control issues. 70 grade fastball and fan graphs, that's pretty nice, but uh, over five walks per nine and a fly ball rate of about 30%, or sorry, ground ball rate of 30%. That's not good. That's a lot of fly balls. Fly balls and walks in the AL East isn't great. Although he is young and has a lot of team control. So I don't know, maybe there's still something there to mold. But, he would uh, be a nightmare in Fenway Park. Yeah. I think we have enough guys that don't know where the ball is going. I would like someone who does. Yeah. Uh, and, and to answer your question, I don't think he would cost a ton. Uh, maybe like a prospect in the 10 to 20 range. But I don't know that I really want this guy. I think it might be a little bit more than that. Maybe. Just because he still has, at this point, has a little bit of ceiling. Right. But yeah. more, more than I would want to give up. Yes, exactly. Uh, Zach has our next question. He says, how do we win a series against an over 500 team? This twin series is huge. Um, So we obviously talked about uh, how big this twin series is, but I I think the biggest thing is um, both the bullpen coming in and doing their jobs effectively and the Red Sox uh, succeeding with runners in scoring position. You're not going to get a ton of opportunities against good ball clubs, and when you do have them, you need to capitalize. Yeah, we can't have these 1 for 10, 0 for 11, 2 for 13 with runners in scoring positions. If you have a chance to score a run, you got to score the run. And yeah. I would start there. Yeah, I agree. I think, I know we reviewed the... Uh, pitching matchups and i honestly think it's actually relatively favorable for the red sox i do too um i think the first one is a certain advantage for the twins but not in like a huge way not in a way that i couldn't imagine um the red sox winning that one and i think that the red sox have the edge in the next two with eduardo rodriguez obviously being the wild card there like if he pitches well that's a huge advantage but you know it's eddie yep i agree um, Steven Nichols has our next question. He says, why does everyone want to help the Yankees get better? And how come they have 32 players on their 25 man roster? Um, 
Well, a bunch of those guys are injury exceptions, um, guys on the IL and things like that. So, uh, you know, they, they don't count towards the active roster at this point. But, like, he makes a good point, and it's something we just brought up. Uh, the Yankees have so much ridiculous depth uh, pretty much everywhere except for at starting pitcher that it's frustrating that they can be so banged up and still really not suffer because of it. Yep. It is very annoying. And, you know, I'm not sure how much Encarnacion really helps the current state of affairs. Um, You know, one thing that this ends up doing is it uh, forces Gary Sanchez and his god-awful defense behind the plate, which might actually be a good thing. Although Gary Sanchez hasn't been as egregious this year. They have 11 guys on the injury list, so that would be 36. They almost have their entire 40-man roster either out on the on the majors or hurt. It's ridiculous how they've done this. <laughs> it really is. But I also think that like the league thinks very highly of Yankees prospects, and especially Yankees pitchers. Um, the Yankees are sort of renowned uh, across minor league baseball for having a really talented uh, minor league staff that does an excellent job developing these guys, and they have really embraced uh, all of the advanced metrics as well when it comes to pitching. So I think that uh, teams really do think pretty highly of Yankees re- pitchers, uh, even if they're way down. And um, it's kind of funny. It's almost like the uh, or in Seattle's case, if you traded them that pitcher in the first place. Well, exactly, and I was just going to say to that point, <laughs> Keaton, it was almost like they sent Juan Then to finishing school uh, with the Yankees only to acquire him back later in life when he's experienced their excellent coaching, and now he can like come and help the Seattle Mariners. <laughs> I mean, if it works, they might start doing it more often. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, Dustin Tuthill, or Toothill, I don't know how to say that, um, asks us, uh, how many Red Sox relievers does it take to screw in a light bulb? I'm going to tell you this. It takes one workman. <laughs> All right, that's pretty good. I, don't, I can't top that. <laughs> I thought about that for a couple minutes. That's um, pretty good. <laughs> next one comes from CJ Roberts, and he says, if the Sox get fully healthy, what's their ceiling? 108 wins in a World Series. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they're going to get 108 wins this year, but, like, yeah, they'd be that team again, right? Yeah, I would think so. Maybe yeah. even slightly better with uh, Devers' steps forwards and improvements and Chavis actually filling a hole in the lineup at second slash first, wherever he goes. Well, I guess fully healthy would be him filling in the hole at, that there was at second. So, could could be, yeah. Yeah, could be could be real nice. Pretty darn good to say the least. Um, Last question of the night comes from He's the Puppet, and he says, why did the Red Sox give up a home game for the London series? It seems like it should be uh, one and one. They gave up both home games, by the way. And no less uh, gave up a home game to a division rival. Uh, This year, they need to lose. They need those games. uh, All a big payout, I take it. Um, My thing here is I don't know the answer to this, truthfully. Um, my guess is that this has something to do with, uh, John Henry's connection to, 
uh, England via the Premier League in which he is an owner over there. Liverpool. Yeah, he owns Liverpool. Um, and like Liverpool is coming to Fenway this summer to play some games here. And I think that this is just part of him building that that relationship and that brand over yep. there. So that's that's I think so. Guess. I feel like the only way they could have convinced the Yankees to do it was not giving up their home games. So that they probably did it. Yeah, and I also want to say that I think this is extremely smart on the part of Major League Baseball to do something that um that most uh, other sports don't do when they go abroad, which is bring your absolute best uh, abroad. And I was actually on a, a podcast in England talking about this uh, not too long ago know, as a radio show in England. Never mind. Um, and I mentioned that same thing because when the NFL goes over to London, you know, they're bringing teams like the Jacksonville Jaguars and crap like that. So it's really nice to see someone take that seriously and the MLB really hasn't gone to that many places they've gone to Japan um, they've gone to uh, Australia Australia they've been to uh, Puerto Rico you know they haven't really done too many things um, so for them to go to Europe is is a pretty big deal what do you mean they have a whole team in Canada it's international yes mate uh, that's NFL okay, doesn't man. have that mates <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's that's how we should end this podcast. Oh, we got one more question. Oh, we did? Yeah. Oh, bring it to me, Keaton. From uh, Jason Jacobson. And he asked, will Kyrie stay? Uh, If not, what does Ainge do? Oh, interesting. Basketball crossover. Um, No, Kyrie is gone, and Ainge is going to roll with the youngins. I think I agree. Yeah. But it's baseball season. So forget the NBA, <laughs> even though their offseason is way better than baseball's offseason. Oh, my God, yes. It's like a thousand million times better. All right, so that has been your show. Um, thank you for the download. Thank you for listening to us. We do appreciate that. Uh, I will mention to you guys, um, we are currently not in the top five in SB Nation uh, sports podcasts for the major leagues. And Red Sox fans out there are the best fans in all of sports, not just MLB. So if you were listening to the show and you liked it, uh, your job this week is to go out and tell 10 other Red Sox fans that they need to be listening to our show every week because we need to be better than the Yankees podcast. Um, I don't care that the Yankees put out more than we do. Um, With our one podcast, we should be the ones that are the best so get out there and tell your friends to subscribe to us uh because over the monster needs to run this thing and uh we absolutely should be doing it considering <laughs> they were world series champs guys the the mets podcast beat us we can't yeah. let that happen we cannot let that slide so um do that tell your friends to subscribe also give us a rate and review we always appreciate that uh, tell Keaton he's doing a great job with the audio because he fixed a lot of the issues that you guys have been having. So props to Keaton. Um, you can follow us both on Twitter. Uh, interact with us whenever. We're always around on Twitter to answer any questions. You can find Keaton at the Spoken Keats, and you can find me at, at Def Jake. And most importantly, you can find Over the Monster for everything you need about the Red Sox at, at Over the Monster. So thanks very much, and we'll be with you next week at the same time. Happy Father's Day.